Thank you all for hanging around here uh, for class. Uh, we are going to now dive into uh, the Ten Commandments. And this is going to be more of a brief overview of the Ten Commandments. And I hope that we get in a little bit deeper into the, the first few commandments. But I, I want to take a step back and I want to see how, how do we divide these out. Uh, what's going on? What do we know about the Ten Commandments that are both in Exodus 20 and what's outside of Exodus chapter 20? And we'll see a few things. First off, I, I do want to note that these commands were given not only after grace was given to the people, but also after the people had agreed to be in covenant with God. They didn't just come up and say, okay, here's the rules. If you look back in Exodus 19, this will only take a second. Um and verse uh, 8 of chapter 19 says, All the people responded after Moses had gone back to, and said, Hey, do you, do, you wanna, do you agree to be a part of the covenant? Uh, and the people all answered, verse 8, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And so they agreed to be in covenant with God. So it, it's not just God said, Okay, here's some rules. Before that, he, he came and offered grace. He delivered them. He redeemed them. He called them his people. And he says, will you agree to be a part of this? And I want you to imagine this more like a marriage uh, than simply a doling out of do's and don'ts. Okay, He said, will you be in covenant with me? Uh, and a covenant is different than a contract uh, because it is... It is it talks about our, our offering ourselves of not just, well, I'll sign here until it's no longer acceptable. But both the contract and the covenant are the same in that there is an agreement that's a made that is made by both parties. Okay. And this happens all the time. You do this every single day. You you uh, have a contract, and I guess you could argue that you in some ways are in covenant with with dozens of people every day. You are in covenant or in contract uh, with uh, the, the person who's taking your order at the McDonald's drive-thru, right? Okay, because there's this contract. The contract is you are going to give them money and they're going to give you a hamburger, um, an all-beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun, right? There's the contract contract that's made okay and and you both agree to do things you're going to give money they're going to provide you with a product that fits with what they promised that they would do we do that all the time we don't even think about it but here this is this is a covenant um with god and it's not just about eating a burger it's not about exchanging money it, it's about uh, being in relationship not occasional relationship in relationship uh, not a master-slave relationship. This, in a lot of ways, is, is like a marriage. It's, it's something that is intended to be for a lifetime. And so he's going to give these what we call the Ten Commandments. Um, they are known uh, in some scholarly realms as the, the Decalogue, okay? Uh, um, which simply means the, the, the Ten um, statements that are made uh, if you take decalogue in the septuagint it's referred to as the deca uh, goose uh, that's a funny sounding word um, that's in the greek and that just means the 10 words 
Uh, which is not too far off because several of these commands uh, only have two words in the Hebrew. Okay, we have it a little bit longer. We say, you shall not do this. You shall not do this. Um, this is more uh, apodictic, which just means like, don't do this. Don't do that. It's, it is a command. It's not a suggestion. Uh, after this, we're going to get into uh, some chapters from 20 all the way till almost the end of 22. There's going to be a lot more... Um, laws, but they're going to be different than the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are, this is what it is, you don't break from it. The The rules that are going to come after this uh, are going to be more causistic, which means it's going to be kind of like an if-then statement. If this happens, you need to do that. If this happens, you need to do this. But all of it is based on ten laws. So we're going to look at them in just a moment, but has anybody noticed the kind of the two different divisions within the Ten Commandments. What can anybody tell me? Has anybody heard or learned or noticed on their own? Is there there's kind of a, a pretty clean break between the first four and the last six? Okay, exactly. The first four are going to be this what we would call the vertical, the relationship with God. Okay, you shall have no other gods before me. You don't have any idols. Uh, don't use my name in vain. And I want you to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. These are like these vertical ways that that we focus uh, on on God. And then we have the other six. Okay, that are going to be we have honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal, don't lie, and uh, don't uh, starts with a C. And I just, I want to say, because I keep saying covenant, don't covet. I kept wanting to say don't covenant. My brain was not working. So don't covet. So you have those ten. The first four are going to be this relationship with God. The other six are going to be ones that like um, how to live with, in community with other people. As we talked about in the sermon, um, there's not a lot of people who are going to say, man, it is... We, we've got to get rid of the law of, of not killing. Like, if we could just kill more people, like, life would be better. And I know some of you wives are nodding your heads like, yes, yes, if I could get away with that, life would be better. Um, Jennifer, don't have that thought. Um, uh, hopefully you need me half as much as I need you, and we can, we can live in harmony. But, but these last six, um, they're, they're really important. There, we have to have these in order to to be able to have a a healthy society. Even the very first one of the, of the the last six is honoring your father and mother. Okay, I I think most of you have seen the decline of of how elderly people are treated in our society. And I was asking this question a little bit earlier. I think Bob and I were talking about this because I don't want to say the bane of my existence because that's that's a little too much. But like I see some of the ways that um, millennials live and what they think, and it just drives me bonkers. I'm like, they didn't get their way, and they they get upset. I mean, like I, I can't tell you how many people today you ask them about what what are they going to do what's their plan what's their future their future is they're going to turn 25 and they're going to be millionaires 
Like, I'm not joking. That is like across the board. What are you going to do? I'm going to turn 25. I'm going to be a millionaire. Well, how are you going to do it? I don't know. Well, where are you going to live? At home. <laughs> you're you're going to be a millionaire 25 years old. You're going to live at home. Oh, oh yeah. And, and they're going to be famous YouTubers and influencers. And that's how they're going to make millions and millions of dollars. And that dream alone has turned into a nightmare <laughs> to millions of parents who have kids who say, hey, mom, I'm not leaving home. I'm going to stare at a, uh, um, a camera, and I, I, I expect everybody else in the world to drop what they're doing to watch me talk about food or video games or slime. True story. True story. There's, there's a young lady a couple years ago, this was in a, a newspaper uh, article, she bought a house. She's 18 years old. She bought a house. She paid cash for it. You know what she does for a living? She makes slime. How many of you know what slime is? Some of you, if you have a child or a grandchild under the age of 10, then you know exactly what slime is. It involves baking soda and glue and uh, 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 contact solution, right? Several, several different things that they can use. And this, this young lady who would get on there and she would talk about making slime. And right there with the camera rolling, she would make slime. Sometimes she'd put food coloring in it or she would put glitter in it. Oh, glitter. All these different things. And, may, and then after she made the slime, she'd have this, this big lump of slime sitting out there. And she would just kind of just, just like start playing with it and pulling apart and apparently that's very therapeutic not for me i see that and i'm like gross there's glitter in that it's going to get under the fingernails like i don't want to have anything to do with this right she made millions because people would watch her and that just frustrates me about that that generation that like we're going to do as little as possible but we want as much as in return like if we go to college we want somebody else to pay for it. Like it just it drives me crazy. So I sit there and think this that generation is terrible. But I was talking to Bob and I said, Bob, you know, do you think like do you think like older generations felt the same way about the Gen Xers as the Gen Xers feel about the millennials? He didn't breathe, he didn't take a breath, he said yes. When I was a teenager and growing up and I was a knucklehead and we didn't have YouTube, but we had we had silly things. We wanted to do crazy things. We wanted to put the biggest possible speaker you could fit in a car and then put an amp in it so that when you hit the when you turned up the music, it would dim the headlights as you're going down the road. Like that's what we wanted. And I just know that the older people were sitting there saying, that's the dumbest generation to ever come along. And they were right. Until the millennials came along. And then we got a little lower and we got a little lower. So and and this is this is not just a human thing. Okay, and I I have some anecdotal a proof of that. That's kind of an oxymoron. But I, I've shared this with some of you before. I had the opportunity to go to the Philippines. Oh man, it's been nearly twenty years ago. But but already, I mean, you could go back to the, the 50s, and the, I can't, but some of you can go back and remember the 50s and 60s, and you can, you can remember when, like, 
the young people wanted to go against the system and they didn't want to listen to to mom and dad's music they wanted to have their own music they wanted to have the jeans that flared out into bell bottoms and they wanted to walk around with their long hair and they say i want to be exactly different from that older generation and if you live in america long enough and and in most countries you can be led to believe that that is human nature that like that is inbred within uh, all humans that by the time of 12 years old they will be smarter than their parents and angry that they have to live with them and embarrassed that they even know them like i just assume like that is a human within the dna but i have reason to believe that maybe that's not entirely the case because in my visit to not ever i didn't poll everybody in the philippines okay don't don't misunderstand me but as i witnessed a group of young people and the way that they interacted and the way that they spoke about their parents and their grandparents it was absolutely foreign to me because i was listening to these teenage kids who were talking about how they love and respect and honor their parents. I even remember a young lady um, who was hesitant to, to, to go off and, and really start her own life because she said, I don't know how much longer I have parents with me and I just want to do as much as I can because of all the things that they've done for me. And I just like, who are you? Like, what's wrong with you? And can I have some of the pills that were given to you because I want to take them back to my kid at that time i only had had one i i, I wanted to to teach him that's and I, I began thinking what have we done as a society to devalue and dishonor and disrespect our older generations and more importantly how is that dishonor and disrespect of our older generations how has that affected the way we live life now that's a question that's coming up more and more what happens when we have a large large group of people we call them the baby boomers and they are now out of their prime and they're not a contributing part of society like they were 30 years ago and all of a sudden they're retiring what do we do with these people like and and you can talk about how it's affected our economy and how how do we pay retirement for all these people and can we get rid of these uh people and and why it just flew past through um new mexico you probably might not have caught this um assisted suicide is now a thing like just flew underneath there we we're talking about marijuana getting passed and now this is this is something that you can do would would we be better off if we began euthanize euthanizing people who are past their prime and they they can't contribute and they're taking away from what i want and so if we could reduce that number then social security would be in a lot better shape is that yes sir what's that soylent green okay I don't. I've not seen Soylent Green. Charlton. Charlton. Oh, okay, so that had to be a little bit older movie. Is that before he was Moses or? Yeah, 
Okay. I'll, I'll have to go back and look. But what kind of society are we creating when we don't honor the generation above us? What happens to a society? You know, I was just reading uh, earlier about what happens to a society when um, people who are living in it are not grateful and gracious to the people who helped create it. How does that affect families? How does that affect business? Uh, how does that affect the culture as a whole? And even though there's a lot of people who would say, ah, they're not that really important, there will come a time in their life when they are that older generation and they're going to think, but wait, what happens to me? God understood this thousands of years, way before America was a blip on the radar, before we even believed as a human race that there was an America's, right? God understood, listen, honoring your father and mother is important. Mur you, don't murder. God understood this. And then it almost seems like that's something you even shouldn't have to say. But God understood the culture and the society, not only of what it was like then, but also what it's like today. Why, why is this unhealthy? I don't even think I need to go into that, why we shouldn't murder. But let's get into one that people might push back a little bit on. What if I don't commit adultery? There are people outside who would say, you know, it's not a big deal. Uh, I don't know that they'd go so far to say, polygamy but they'd say oh you know marriage is not a valued institution we don't even need to do it and if we do it it's only until it's no longer acceptable for me and then i'm gonna i'm gonna bolt um, and so i do want to take a half second and stop and say this okay grace came first right and then god offered the commandments but then grace came again <laughs> It is like nonstop. So if you are plagued with, um, and I, my heart breaks for you, but if you're plagued with, I was in a marriage and I am no longer in that marriage, don't let anyone tell you that that is the scarlet letter that you have to wear around your, your neck the rest of your life. We're not going to embroider the D on your, your blouse or your shirt and say, you know, you're a half citizen now or you're a junior citizen or... You might make it in, but boy, it's going to be really tight because, boy, that's a tough sin right there. The, the fact is, is that's not true at all. For those of you who've been in that relationship, for those of you who are like me, I watched that relationship. My assumption was, because I, I felt like I was so much like my dad and I, I loved my dad so much that I, I just knew that because my parents got a divorce, I was, I was going to go down that road too. I had convinced myself by the time I was 13, there's a lot of reasons why people wouldn't marry me, this being one of them. But the biggest was, once they figured out that I was just like my dad and my parents got a divorce, that why would any woman want to be with a guy who they know that is going to you know, not be with them in 20 years? And so you, you live with that guilt of what happens if, if the marriage doesn't work. And what does God think about me? And I just want to be the first to, to remind you, not, not what I say, but what God says is His grace covers you. And there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus.
So don't, I don't want you to walk out of here and say, man, he's just he's going after the people who are divorced. I'm, I'm telling you, we all are broken people who cannot be in the presence of God without Jesus. And Jesus cleans us all equally. Like if you're convinced that you're going to be in a, a better place because you sat in the pew more or you were divorced four times, that you have a, a, a misunderstanding of what grace is. And yet a lot of people walk around with that, that guilt of, of what happened in my life. I had a conversation with somebody just this last week and we were talking about like we grow up, grew up in a time where we honestly thought, I honestly thought that, that I needed five seconds, maybe three, before I died. I just needed that to say, God, please forgive me. Because I grew up believing that like, it was just one little sin was going to catch me no matter what I did. If I didn't ask for forgiveness, like I was done for. Like, how skewed is that idea that grace will only cover us if we, you know, mutter some some words in our last dying breath? It it covers us. But having said that, God says, "I'm calling to be in community with you." And divorce is not just about marriage. Divorce is about choosing to be in relationship, even in relationship that sometimes is difficult. And God chose not to divorce Himself from a group of people that constantly chose adultery against God. That they were constantly running away from God. They were creating their own idols. They were complaining like they, they just... They were, they were not a good spouse. And God says, when I choose to be in covenant with you, I'm going to follow through with my end. And He says that. As long as you stay with me, I'm going to stay with you. As long as you stick together, I'm going to offer grace over and over and over again. Just listen to me and follow me and trust me. And God understood that, that adultery tears apart lives. I grew up in basically as a in a single parent family. By the time I was 13 that I was I was being raised by by my mom. Right. There is no person who who studies and understands uh, psychology, who looks at uh, family systems, there's no one who's going to tell you it is better to have one parent than two. If you can have two healthy, functioning parents, that is always, always better than one. Because you can have an amazing parent, but an amazing parent is going to have bad days. And an amazing parent is going to lose their cool. And an amazing parent is going to misjudge every once in a while. You need to have that second one who can step in. Sometimes her name is Jennifer. Who will step in and say, Doug, like you need to breathe. Like you need to step away from this situation. You need to chill out. And I'm I'm embarrassed to say that that's now that I have teenagers, sometimes I get a little too excited about it. And I'm like, nope, we're 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 doing it right here, right now. And she's like, Really? This is the hill that you want you want to die on. I don't know. Should it be? I mean it has to be, right? Really? 
And so God understands that adultery is, is one, about breaking a covenant. But two, he understood, like, you know, as he is our, our father, and he understands the role of parenting, he's called us and said, look, I created woman to be with man and so that they can have a family because it's going to take both of them and then an entire village to raise kids and so god understood that when he said don't commit adultery and he says don't steal okay i don't how many of you have had something stolen from you in the last year anybody that i get am i the only one couple people i had something stolen from me went out to my shed i decided i to do something and i realized that um i was missing my hedge trimmers and my uh my saw i got a brand new pole saw for christmas i took it out of the box i put it in my shed and two weeks later i went in there and it's gone i was so excited i didn't even get to use it it was battery powered it was gonna be so cool and somebody else had it and there's such a sense of frustration and such such a sense of violation when that happens and god understands he says that's not healthy for society it's not good for the person who has something taken it's not good for the person who takes something like this is not how i called you to live life god says i don't steal and I am calling you as my people not to steal. Don't give false testimony. False testimony. Don't lie. You know, I, one of the, the the book I'm reading, one of the last chapters, uh, Jordan Jordan B. Peterson, Twelve Rules of Life, and one of his chapters is don't lie. But at the very, you know, he says he says always tell the truth. But at the very least, don't lie. He's like this is a rule of life that we should go by. Like, let's be people who are honest and show integrity in the way that we speak. And in doing so, he, he argued quite compellingly that if we are honest with one another, life is a lot better. Um, and I'm not going to pick on women, because I would never do that. Uh, but sometimes articulating what you really want is better than the guessing game of he should know what I want. Um, so it's not just about it's being people who are authentic and genuine and husbands that means that when your wife is speaking you listen to them if your co-worker is speaking listen to them engage in that uh, and be people of integrity uh, in the way that you speak to one another and then he talks about coveting what does coveting mean okay wanting what's not yours what's an example of coveting Somebody took my saw. They, they wanted it, so, so they took it. Can you covet without using your hands? Give me an example of coveting like without an action, not without a physical action. Okay, it's your thoughts. Specifically, what's an example of coveting? I know this could get dicey because, you know, this could take us down a dark road, but, I mean, we're, we're people who have failings. Let's admit that. What are, some, what are some ways that coveting can be an issue? I wish I had a new car. Okay, you wish you had Brad's car. Okay. Okay, you could be obsessed with that car. Yes. 
And I've heard people say that they covet in such a way, it's not even as much as I want that, it's I don't want you to have that. They don't deserve that. Okay, I'm not saying that I deserve that award, but that person doesn't deserve that award. Um, what places can that take you? Where does that lead you? Um, I mean, coveting is not simply saying, man, uh, Lynn has a really awesome welder. I would love to have a welder like that. Or to say, Ida is really great with finances. I wish I could be a good uh, accountant like Ida is. I mean, she does taxes for all these people. I can barely do my own taxes. I would love, that's not coveting, okay? Um, now, if I break into Lynn's shop and I take his welder, that's coveting. If I stay up at night and say, I really want that, I, I, that's what I need to have. I'm, I've got to have that. That's coveting. If I say, I don't want I to have that. She doesn't deserve it. I would be better with it. That's coveting. Sometimes coveting doesn't even necessarily include another person. Okay? Um, I, I spent um, I got a, a truck in 2001. Sweet Chevy Silverado. 1500 just loved it you guys probably saw it because i i kept it until wyatt turned 16 and with great pride i handed that truck that i had taken care of down to my son and i just loved that truck i had it for like 18 years i i mean it was a truck so it had dents but i mean everything was working on it everything that kid got a hold of that thing, and he did in 24 months what I couldn't do in 18 years. I mean, we got done with that thing, and it wasn't even worth a shotgun slug to shoot that thing. And I thought, I can't wait, because as soon as I get rid of that truck, I'm going to get me a new truck, and I'm going to get me a better truck, and it's going to be awesome. That, I'm not saying... I don't want somebody else to have that truck. I'm not looking specifically at Stan Hass and say, I really want Stan's truck. But what I'm saying is, I would really like to have this. There, there's a new truck coming out in 2024. You can look this up later on. It's called uh, a, a GMC Hummer EV2. It's battery powered. It is just awesome. It just, it's, it's just a sweet... And like I keep looking at that truck. I was like, I'm going to... I'm going to get me one of those. What can I do to get me one of those? I can't get one of those. Man, I, I don't know. I'd have to sell all three things to try to get one of those things. And the going rate for one of them right now is not real high. But, no, that's a different one. <laughs> right? Like, but you start thinking about, I want to have that thing. I, I've, I've shared this story with you before, but I want to share it real quickly. Uh, I grew up going to a, a private school which I'm really thankful for. I got to go to private school um, because um, my mom chose to take her master's degree over to this private school where she earned a sweet $14,000 a year, um, which even in the, the 90s was like pretty low, especially for raising three kids. Right? My dad was a police officer, so we were not rolling in the money at all. But they made that sacrifice so that I would be able to have an education and be around people who, who could help bring me closer to Jesus. And in a lot of ways, I'm just so thankful of that. But one of the struggles with that is that I ended up in a school where 
we were definitely at the very bottom of the um, economic uh, uh, ladder. We were the lowest. And we had food on the table. Like, we lived in a house. Like, I mean, it wasn't a big house, but like, we, I, we were never homeless. We were never hungry. Okay, we, but I was around kids who literally, the parents drove Porsches and Mercedes and BMWs to school. We drove to school in the 1985 Dodge Caravan with the fake wood on the side. I don't know why somebody thought, wouldn't it be cool if we pretended like a car was made out of wood? But they did. And so we had that, and we had the literally the gold-tinted running boards. It was the ugliest car, and I hated going up there because I hated watching my friends get out of the, the Porsche 911. The ugliest car ever made, but it was a Porsche. It was German-engineered. I was in love with Porsches, and I, I can't believe I'm getting out of a Dodge Caravan. Right? I can remember walking into the school... I, I can remember all the kids at that time, it was polo shirts and jerbo jeans and all that stuff. Not only did we not have the nice clothes, we didn't even have the, really the new clothes. I was the youngest of three, and so I literally got the hand-me-downs. And I joked about this a few weeks ago, but my, my next oldest brother, was uh, he was a little and I was just super, super skinny. And so in order for... For his pants to remotely fit around me, it literally meant like my jeans were like this too much short. I mean, it was embarrassing. We had a, a kid who would go around and he would pull your tag and he would tell everybody the name of the the maker you were wearing of your shirt. Like, it was just, and to me, it was just humiliating. My senior year came around, and you've heard the story, so I'll go through it quickly, but this is when I was talking about or reading about covenanting it immediately took me to this story my my dad's mom grandma crumb had uh, loved us and she set aside money for us to get a a new car when we graduated from high school and and the rule was is that we got it we got it a little bit early right so we got to drive it around the last month or so of a year and so I'd picked out a car. It was a Ford Mustang. It was 94. It was the new body style. It's also the ugliest body style that Ford ever made. But back then, like, it was a Ford Mustang. And we couldn't get the V8, but I got the V6, and I was so fired up. We literally, I got to order it. Like, I got to say, here's what I want. I didn't get everything I wanted because I wanted the big engine. But I got, like, I got to say, here's the color that I want and all this stuff. And they literally, Ford took uh, an extra, extra, extra long time for it to come in they said four to six weeks and so you know i have my calendar circled that you know i'm counting day four weeks that's 28 days and four weeks came by it wasn't ready five didn't come by six didn't come by 12 12 weeks later it took 12 that's how long it took and i was calling every day so not only did they decide to take a really long well i'll, I'll hold that offer so i get this ford mustang like i'm so excited so now all of a sudden Okay, it's not a Mercedes or BMW, but it's a brand new Ford Mustang, and I could not wait to go to school with it. I coveted that thing. I coveted, I could tell you everything there was to know, horsepower, torque, anything there was to know about it, like how long the antenna was. Like I knew everything about this, right? It came in, I picked it up on a Friday. I drove around on Friday. I convinced my mom to let me clean out the, enough of the garage so I could park it in there and the Dodge Caravan stayed outside. And I literally remember two things of that Friday night. 
one of the things was um, I got out the car manual and I read it. Like, there was not a teacher in the last four years that could have convinced me to read any book, but I was reading a car manual. I knew when to shift. I knew everything about that. And then I remember uh, finding an old baby diaper, cloth diaper, and I remember wiping that thing down. And I was in love with that thing, and I knew it was going to change my life. Oh, I could not wait till I drove up on Monday in my new car, and I just knew all the girls. Oh, Doug, you're so wonderful. I, just, I mean, I just knew. And that's the second day I had it was Saturday, and I. I'd driven, it had 80 miles on it. And I'm driving home, I'm about a mile away from home, and it clunks, sputters, and the check engine light comes on. Two days old, 80 miles on it. I had wanted that thing so bad, I just knew it was absolutely, I coveted that thing. I would have given up anything for that car. And it absolutely changed my life when the check engine light came on i thought it was going to change my life when i had a car that was running but it changed my life when it stopped running and i can remember pulling into the garage and shutting the door and walking inside no no baby cloth wiping it down i just remember how disappointed i was it's why i'll never buy a ford <laughs> ever again because uh, that thing broke down and just it never I, it, it 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 was it was it was my God. It it was what I thought was everything, and in a lot of ways it did. It was one of those things that helped me believe that you know what the things that you have and the things that you wear and the things that you drive and the places where you live like that's just stuff. And it's going to tear, it's going to break down, it's going to quit, the, the engine's going to stop working, the roof is going to leak, the fat is going to go out of style. Like there's only one thing that really matters. You know, one thing, I don't think I've ever thought about this, but when Scotty was talking this morning, he was talking about, you know, having peace, and he said... He said, if there's anyone I want to have peace with, it's with God. And I thought, you know, I don't, I don't ever think I've really thought about that. Like the one thing I want to have is, is peace with God more than anyone else. And I know, I know what I say, if mama ain't happy, no one's happy. But really, ultimately, what God calls us is to have, have peace with Him. And the way that we do it is the way that we live our lives and the way that we trust in Him and the way that we obey Him. And that happens in the way that we follow the rules, the laws, and the commands that He's called us to live by. These things that we call the Ten Commandments are ways that God reveals Himself to us. It's not just, here's how I want you to live. It's how, here, how, this is how I treat you. Okay. This is how I love you. This is why I ask you to put me first, because I've put you first. Because I've made that sacrifice. Okay, this is how that I tell you not to be people who lie and steal and murder because that's not who I am. And I want you to come in relationship with me. And in order for you to do that, you need to seek me with all your heart. 
And so as we're going to look in greater detail, obviously not today because we're out of time, but as we look into greater detail into the, the Ten Commandments in the coming weeks, I know, I know, it took 12 weeks to get to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to land here for a few more weeks before we move on. I think it's, it's worth spending that time in here. But I want you to be thinking about um, what does it mean to be in covenant with God? And why would he call me to live a, a different and arguably more radical way than what my neighbors choose to live? And why would he, and what does that mean for me? Um, I, my prayer is that you're not going to see this as, oh great, here we've got a, a list of ten rules, but how can I come to know God better through looking at these? And that's, that's my prayer for, for each one of you. Uh, let's close out in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father God, I just I thank you for being a God who calls us to be in relationship with you. You have won the battle uh, and yet you still look uh, down on us and call us uh, to, to be with you and to be in relationship with you, to, to be on your side and on your team. And Lord, we know that there's people, uh, some in here and some outside these walls that are really struggling uh, with life. Uh, and have a a great misunderstanding of who you are. And so, Lord, I just pray that the way that we live, the way that we have faith, the way that we um, uh, um, live in this difficult time is an opportunity to show the rest of this world exactly who Jesus is and what he calls us to. Lord, I'm just overly thankful for the grace that you've given to us. And Lord, as we look at these Ten Commandments, may it not be about works and things we have to do, but instead an understanding to know you better. We just thank you for that opportunity. I thank you for the people uh, in this room. And may today be just like last Sunday, that, that, that we are celebrating a risen Savior. And I just I thank you for the men and women in this room who, who have shown that uh, to me and who will continue to exhibit that throughout the years. May you be glorified through all that we do. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you all for being here. Don't forget that we have Wednesday. Uh, we're going to meet at 6 o'clock. We'll be in here to uh, study uh, the 12 apostles. Uh, and that starts at 6 and will end about 7 o'clock. So thank you all for being here. You're dismissed.